Happy Monday, kitty cats. And before we get into today's show, I want to remind you once again about an amazing new podcast. I really do mean amazing. I'm not joking around. Called Los Libertinos. It is both on podcatchers as well as on YouTube. It is hosted by my buddy, my homie, Carlos Abelar. And when Carlos invited me on his show, I didn't really know what to think. I kind of thought, okay, you know, I I bought CBD from this guy. Seems like a nice guy. I'll go on his show. But I was really impressed by Carlos's approach. Uh, He asked me a number of questions that I've just never really gotten before. Not only that, I never really thought about them too deeply before, Not at least not in the way he was asking them. Uh, he does a really unique interview and he really is trying to do a show that normal people can listen to, which I know can be a challenge when talking to you know libertarians like myself who just want to rant and rave about every which thing. But Carlos is really, really able to hone in on certain subjects and talk about things in a way that really is relatable. And I really do appreciate that. So I really want to encourage you to go check out Los Libertinos. Again, you can find it on YouTube. You can find it on all your favorite podcatchers. If nothing else, go check out the interview that I did with Carlos. Ablar. I will also link to it in today's show notes. Check out Los Libertinos. We need to empower people with not just the philosophical tools, but the inspiration to break free from the system. Welcome to the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly dose of education, inspiration, and real-world application from the top minds in the liberty movement. If you want liberty, we need to be better leaders Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. I'm here with my guest. His name is Tom Mullen. And uh, we were talking before the show. I think we've probably seen each other's names for over probably a decade now between podcasting. I, I think you're even around in the Daily Paul days. I remember seeing a lot of your um, your articles your interviews. Yeah. So we're, we're OGs as far as I'm concerned. But uh, that being said, before before I can bring you in properly, Tom, I have to confirm that you are indeed ready to roar. All right. Here goes. I have to use my hand, though. <laughs> how late? How late were you up last night? Practicing? I, I was just watching Highlander and, and listening to that Kurgan guy. That's where I got the. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. Highlander's a classic. Absolute classic. Um, well, Tom, we have a lot of directions we can go in. We could dive a little bit further into your love of Highlander, um, but I don't want to get too far off track. So why don't we stick to the, the Liberty stuff right now? Why don't you just uh, tell us a little bit more about your uh, your libertarian origin story? When did you first kind of get wind of all this all this weird Liberty stuff? Because like I said, I, I've been seeing your stuff for pro- probably close to 10 years now. Well, it's funny. I, I was in a warehouse. This is um, right after George Bush got inaugurated and everybody was arguing about the election and i you know participated in the discussion a little bit and there was one gentleman there that worked worked at the same place and he says i got a question for you like what, what's your political views what party are you in i said oh, i'm not in a party and i started saying things like i i think you know war's a scam i'm very anti-war i know this guy's going to get us in another war this is before 911. <laughs> And uh, I knew he was going to go into Iraq one way or another after, uh, you know, what he had said on the campaign. He goes, but I don't think the government, you know, and I'm, this is my half-baked ideas back then. I don't think the government should be involved in the economy at all. I don't think this and that. He goes, oh, you're a libertarian. And he reaches into his desk 
and starts handing me magazines because back then, you know, <laughs> that's how you know you met a libertarian. <laughs> right? they, they start handing you literature as soon <laughs> right? as they get a, get a glimpse that you might agree with them on something. And uh, so I said, <laughs> I am. read these seven books and I get back to me tomorrow <laughs> and we'll kind of go from there. So um, anyway, you know, I, I before that, I think there's a post from maybe 2011 when I realized I was an anarchist <laughs> um, because I, I wrote Ru, Lou Rockwell a, a message, which he immediately outed me on, <laughs> put it on the Internet. But um, but uh, I had in the 1990s, I had read a whole bunch of like founding fathers letters. I'm like, I wonder what these guys had to say. And I you know, went through the whole Jefferson writings book and I kept stumbling across across John Locke's name. And I'm like, I remember I took a course in college that was about Locke and Rousseau. And I'm like, well, I definitely agree with Locke, this other guy, forget it. Um, so all this jumble of, you know, nonsense was in my head. And then once I heard the word libertarian, I started looking into it. Oh, there's a party and everything. And then the first candidate I was really aware of or was Michael Bodnarik, like the best one, oh, wow. you know in 20 years that, that was uh that was my first vote uh for a non-republican or democrat it was michael i knew nothing about the libertarian party i just knew that i didn't like these guys and it was just like i looked him up i was like i don't know it seems kind of weird but whatever he's better than these these jokers yeah yeah so um well and, and uh, the, the funny thing is during the 90s before i got it all together i i voted for perot just because i was impressed and now i'm you know getting younger here and into my 20s but I was impressed with uh, the charts. So he'd bring out the charts, say, well, they bring in this much and then they spend this much. I'm like, you can't do this that. This guy knows his shit. He's got charts. Yeah. So I voted for him twice. I didn't know anything about the trade thing. I knew he kept mentioning it, but I, you know, it was over my head. So, I mean, I can proudly say in my 38 year, or 36, whatever it is, voting career, I've, I've not only never voted for a Democrat or a Republican, I've never actually voted for anybody in a general election who went on to win. <laughs> so I, I'm blameless in everything, right? So anyway, um, Bodnarik, you know, I'm like, well, this is great. You know, I know this guy's not going to win, but I can vote for somebody I like now. And then, of course, 2008 rolled around. And, um, you know, I didn't know the Libertarian Party is going to nominate Bob Barr. That was a disaster. But... Here comes my wife one day and she says, hey, you know, there's a Republican, uh, a libertarian who's running for the Republican nomination. And I, you know, strut over to my computer so I can prove to this foolish woman that this is a faker. She's, you know, being duped by. And I start. Let me guess. He mentioned the free market. I'll, I'll dismiss this immediately. <laughs> right. So I start Google him and I start reading the website and I'm like, oh. Jeez. And then sooner or later, I ran across the Giuliani thing and I'm like, holy cow, this is who is this guy? You know, I had never heard of him. So and I, you know, never really cared that much. But I really thought when I heard him, wow, and he's in the debate like with the other candidates and he's on TV and he's saying things I believe in. It was like I, I couldn't believe it. It was like, I just can't believe this is real. So it got me pretty excited, and I, I thought, well, what can I do? And I thought I was a good writer, which when I go back and read my stuff from then, I realized I was not. But, you know. Never never read your old writing and never <laughs> listen to your old podcast. These are two words of advice right. I, I can pass along. Ignorance was bliss. So I went in full steam, and that's what I did for 
10, 12 years as I, I wrote and somehow Forrest Gump my way into a press pass from the Washington Times to cover his 2012 campaign and the convention. And, um, you know, I've had a, I had a blog on HuffPo for a while after the Washington Times thing was over and he and his political career was over. And uh, lately then writing for Foundation for Economic Education. So I've just been writing in a lot of places and I wrote two books. And um, I guess the other thing is that, that uh, for the last several years, I've had a lot of ghostwriting gigs. And I got those because I was pitching my own book. And while I was pitching my own book, they kept telling me, well, you got to start a podcast or something. You can't just write. You can't, you can't, you can't just write books and expect to sell books. You got to be on TV or something. So you can't just be guy that wrote a book. You got to be podcaster who's, who also wrote a book <laughs> yeah. and then maybe we can work with something. But I can write them for these other people. So, um, so here I am. That's my story. All right. Well, fantastic. Well, we are going to talk about one of your books today. This is a little book that you just put together called anti-state Christmas. And it's, it's sort of an interesting time, especially after the last, you know, 18, 20 months or so. Like I, I would say that to me, it's it's been interesting to watch, not in a good way necessarily, but it's been interesting to watch how different communities and groups of people have reacted to COVID restrictions, uh, to lockdowns, to that sort of thing. And I've actually just as sort of an, an outside observer because I've I've never been terribly religious necessarily, although in the last year and a half, two years, I've definitely taken religion a lot more seriously and take a lot more of an interest in it. But uh, just observing how different religions have reacted, I've, I've seen there's almost like one, there's almost a split. It seems like in some sort of churches or some, maybe some specific communities, that's where you saw the most resistance, like the real resistance, like whether it's uh, Jews in New York City or, or what have you. And then you also see some other other, I don't know, specific churches or leaders or what have you who who are actually fully embracing all of this stuff, who have actually fully embraced like wearing masks, socially distancing at church, uh, things of that nature. So just just from my point of view, it's been pretty interesting to watch. So from your perspective, um, you know, as, as a religious person, just how did you see all of that as it was unfolding? Um, you know, just whether you whether it refers first to your own, you know, how your own community reacted or just how you saw all of this playing out uh, in relation to what's been going on with the covid regime. Well, and I'm not particularly religious either. I, you know, have a deep interest in, I had a, before the whole political thing, I was deep into uh, the gospel stories and, and the ancient mysteries and all this stuff. But, um, but I do take my mom to church. My mom is going to be 90 next year. And uh, she came to stay with us uh, last year after uh, my father passed away, my father and sister passed away. So we had a tough year in 2019 and she was staying with us and I was taking her down to the church in Lockport. I shouldn't out this guy, but now I've said it, but I mean, the, the pastor was like a lot of, I think modern woke liberal pastors who seem to give you the impression that Jesus was this pushover, this milk toast. Don't offend anybody, you know, turn the other cheek, be meek and, you know, he did say the meek will inherit the earth, but the Jesus of the New Testament is quite a fiery revolutionary, and he's at constantly at odds with the government, the Jewish government, such as it was under Roman rule at the time, the Pharisees and the scribes. I mean, you know, he's born, then the government tries to kill him. I mean, this is just the Jesus that's in the story. And then, uh, you know, once he starts his ministry, they're constantly trying to trip him up so they can charge him with something and kill him. 
And, um, you know, he's constantly excoriating the Pharisees. And I guess the, the thing that's really relevant to what we went through over the last couple of years is the story about the guy with the withered hand. So, uh, you know, Jesus is going to heal this guy's hand. You know, the guy's one big chance probably in all his life. You know, it took you three weeks to go 10 miles back then. So he meets Jesus and the Pharisees come around or the scribes. I can't which, but I remember which, maybe both. And uh, they're, well, you're going to cure this guy on the Sabbath? And so just think about that. Okay, they're going to invoke this regulation. We're not doing work today. Yeah, right. And, um, you know, no, you're not supposed to help this guy. And I'm just thinking like, yeah, you should wear your mask. You should wash your hands. They try to get Jesus on washing his, his apostles, not washing his hand, their hands on another occasion. But you're going to let this guy go untreated, unhealed, because you, you're just trying to trip up Jesus for political reasons. So, you know, of course, Jesus cures the guy and says it, it, it is uh, okay to do good on the Sabbath, right? So it's just kind of, it's not too much of a stretch to say, you know, you can't give anybody these treatments. I won't mention what they are. I don't want to get your show canceled, but. Uh, uh, we, we get, we get weekly uh, strikes and bans from YouTube. I, I mean, it's just, we Right. Say whatever you want is my point because we're we're used to it by now and kind of kind of just have given up on the fact that eventually we won't be on on this particular platform and that's okay. Yeah. There are others out there that are worthy of our our, our presence. Certainly, but uh, yeah, I mean, in another in, in any case, you know, they want the the guy to go on suffering and not be cured, um, to, you know, so that they can trip him up on this uh, political you know, attack. So, I mean, it goes all the way through the gospel stories. At the end of Matthew, he lets loose on the Pharisees and scribes. And I mean, he's not even a little bit nice about it. So this is not the, you know, meek, do what you're told kind of Jesus that I think, you know, some pastors want people to emulate. Now, like you said, there were others that said, no, we're, we're not closing. Uh, you know, the, we, you are not the final authority here. So, um, you know, it, it really depends where you are. And some cases it's individual. But, you know, like up where I live in western New York, I live in Niagara County. It's 2019 here, you know. So we're back to our overtaxed, overregulated lives that we had before 2020. <laughs> the good old days. Yeah. Um, but you go five, you know, miles to the south of me into Erie County, and it's like April 2020 again. They've got the mask mandate back, and, you know, it's just crazy. It's wild how how big the differences can be, even across very, very short, uh, you know, geographic distances, which it just, it's it really driving home so much to me how much in culture is important and how much specifically your local culture is important because that is really going to dictate the world you live in. So you either want to influence it to be more like, like you want it to be, or you just want to maybe go to a different one, depending on how bad your, your current situation uh, is slash was. Um, is this part of what inspired you to write the book, kind of seeing these different reactions, seeing, uh, I guess, certain um, elements of the church or certain uh, proponents of it, not exactly act acting in what would be the Christ-like manner, I guess. Because, I mean, saying this as an outside observer, I'm, I'm happy to be corrected. But just to me, it seems to me like the whole idea behind Christianity is here's this guy who basically lived life the exact exact perfect way you possibly should. And we should do our best to, we're never going to be able to do it exactly, but we want to emulate this method of living, of truth speaking um, as much as possible. Um, so did it bother you when you saw certain elements of the church, whether it's certain churches or pastors kind of 
kind of acting in the other way, acting almost like the, the government would be acting if they were just trying to slip Jesus up on, on a certain, um, you know, not following a certain regulation or order here and there. Same thing when they're just racing to comply with max mask mandates or lockdowns or whatever it may be. Yeah. And especially, the, you know, the way it came across. Now, if these people firmly believe this, um, Okay, but it just seemed too convenient. I mean, it's it's like everybody else who just goes along. And, and I know virtue signaling is a, an overused term, but I mean, really, I can't think of a better word for, you know, proclaiming to everybody. Now, of course, we're going to do what we're supposed to do here and everybody's going to wear their mask and we're not, you know, and it's like, do you really believe that this is, especially as you got later into 2020 and it became very apparent that the measures were not doing anything? And I mean, if you really looked at data, it started to look like the measures might be making things slightly worse, but at least that there was no correlation. And at that point, I mean, what, you know, why should we come to your church? You know, we could just go down and listen to the county executive speak. And he's telling us all the same things. And as I said, the Jesus of the Bible is constantly butting heads with the authorities and uh, even punches Pilate. He basically tells him, I'm not talking. <laughs> and he gets acquitted. And then, of course, they uh, they uh, they kill him anyway because the mob demands it. And that's another another subject that's unfortunately topical these days. But um, absolutely. I mean. No, that that is a, a, another reason I think your your book is actually really prescient right now. And looking at sort of how how Jesus might lead, you might say a libertarian life or whatever it may be. Um, if anything, it seems more like libertarianism kind of trails behind you know the lessons of Christianity in many ways. Like if you're already if you're already living a sort of a, a you know a, a life similar to Jesus or living or trying to live your life in that manner, you're already pretty much acting libertarian. You know, and I, I think. Uh, one point you made earlier, it, it does get confused a lot of times when, you know, I think I think it really comes down to like sort of the how dominant progressivism and leftism has become to the point that it just seems normal. Um, but this idea that you're supposed to go through life and just politely express your opinions about things that you're supposed to always be nice to everybody. Um, look, I'm a nice guy. I try to be nice all the time, but when the shit's getting real and <laughs> I would say if, if things were ever getting real, it's right now, this moment in history, you're not obligated to be nice about, about expressing your, you know, whatever it may be, your rights or, you know, calling out injustices that are going on. And in fact, at least, you know, based on the gospels and what have you, uh, that is how Jesus lived too. He was not a, necessarily nice about this stuff he was actually kind of an asshole to his friends because he was out there telling he was more concerned about telling the truth and living in the proper way than about making people feel better about themselves i always think of him like my um my little league baseball coach when i made what they called the majors in little league back in the late 70s so i mean this guy was it just a profanity driven? I guess that part's not Christ-like, but you know, he wasn't real nice all the time, but we knew he was beating us up into better players. And, you know, when a compliment was due, he'd give you one. And you, I mean, nobody on that team wouldn't walk a hundred miles for this guy. Right. And it means so much more. I mean, like I had a similar situation in, in my high school, my high school wrestling coach where like I loved the guy outside of, of practice, but in practice, my God, I feared him. I hated him. I wanted nothing to do with him. But my God, when you did something good, and maybe it's been weeks since you heard something positive from this person, when you did something good and he shook your hand and said, that was excellent. 
I mean, that really stood out. That was like, oh, I earned that. Like, I, I really earned that compliment. So I, I think it just means so much more no matter what you're doing in life. I'm, I'm not saying go be an asshole all the time so that so that it's you really stand out when you're nice. But it's not a bad model to have, if especially if you're in the position of trying to teach someone or trying to motivate someone in some way. Again, not advocating being an asshole, but it doesn't mean you need to be all, all fluffy-duffy you know, all the time. Well, I mean, especially since when, I mean, this is the most egregious thing I've seen a government do since, you know, since never in, in America, maybe the new deal when they were running around, you know, closing businesses that didn't have the blue Eagle on their, uh, on their door, but nothing in my lifetime has been this, this totalitarian. And it, it's not a time to be nice. It's a time to say no. Uh, it's a time to say no firmly. What did Jefferson say? Manly firmness. So, um, you know, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, and, you know, the other thing, too, is, you know, this whole idea of like, well, we'll just have to a- agree to disagree. OK. <laughs> OK. So I'm going to agree to not invade your life or or possessions. But and you're going to agree that you can invade mine. I don't know. <laughs> agree to a- disagree. Doesn't shouldn't no money change hands. So it's like, um, you know, it's it's funny because, y- you know, we're we're always expected to be the ones who suffer. Um, our opinions are always, you know, oh my God, you want to leave people alone? Oh, that's terrible. I mean, in so many words, that's that's what they say. So it's it's almost kind of a little bit absurd, really, to uh, to say you should be polite or nice about defending what are basic rights, after all. All right, guys, if you have been hearing uh, the things I've been saying lately, I've been doing a lot of podcast appearances out there. And one thing I've really been emphasizing is that you've got to make plan B's, plan C's, plan D's. Um, You've got to really plan for not just the unexpected, but in many ways, the inevitable. And with everything that's been going on around us lately, uh, with the COVID regime, with vaccine passports, vaccine mandates, uh, all depending on where you live, it's more important than ever to be mobile and to have an idea of what you're you're going to do when the place that you're currently living uh, just becomes completely unfeasible for you anymore, or when you lose your job or face a mandate you don't want to face, you have to have the ability to go and do something else. And that is why I recommend to everyone to check out my friend Mikkel Thorup on the Expat Money Show. This show has become the number one resource for me in terms of learning about what I can do to invest overseas, uh, to look at foreign residencies, to have a backup plan or even a a plan, a plan A uh, with everything that's been going on right now, that might be the way you want to look at things. You've got to have an idea about what you're going to do and how you're going to keep yourself and your wealth and your family safe in these trying times. And a a lot of people are finding a lot more freedom overseas. uh, I certainly have as of late. So not only do I want you to go ahead and listen to the Expat Money Show, you can find it on your favorite podcatcher. You can also find uh, videos of the episodes over on YouTube at Expat Money. I also want you to go to this special URL because Mikkel is giving away a free infographic report, a free PDF to any of our fans who go over here. So head over to expatmoneyshow.com slash lions and get the free infographic report, 19 international strategies to protect and grow your wealth. You will sleep like a baby knowing that no one will ever raid your personal Fort Knox when you use some of the strategies in this infographic. Stop and defend yourself from governments trying to steal your money through taxation 
conversation. There are just so many tips in this report. You do not want to miss it. So head over to expatmoneyshow.com slash lions. Tom, one thing you do uh, in this book to get into the specifics a little bit more, you look at some of the the more like classic Christmas stories. Now, I have like a kind of re- interesting relationship with uh, Christmas culture, I guess you might say, or Christmas movies or that sort of thing, because I, I was raised in a Jewish household. So like Christmas was not a thing we celebrated at all. But it was also this thing that I knew all my friends got to do and that they were always talking about all the presents they got. So then that made me, you know, want to sort of recreate that through Hanukkah, but it was never quite the same. So I was, I was always kind of jealous of Christmas and I really took on loving Christmas culture. Like, like I love Christmas movies. Like, I mean, my favorite to this day, I just, after Thanksgiving hits, I'm like, cool. Now I have the excuse to watch the Christmas movies again. Cause I think there is something, something inspiring just about the idea, you know, it's, it's kind of within us. It is to be helping people or have that sort of, you know, whatever the Christmas cheer is supposed to be, but you actually take up well, to, to coin a phrase, a little bit of a scroogey approach <laughs> to, to a couple of the, of these Christmas movies and um, sort of how these, some of these modern movies particularly um, are sort of sending the, the wrong message, sending a very different message than maybe, maybe whether it's the one Jesus would necessarily send, but it's certainly um, not a pro capitalism, not a pro Liberty message. So um, maybe you can just break down. You kind of, you, you teed up. I had a blast listening to your an interview with Tom. Cause I always love when Tom goes on rants, uh, especially <laughs> I've heard him do this no, a number of times when he goes on a rant about Charles Dickens. So I'm just going to guess say, go listen to Tom's interview with, with Tom, Tom's interview with Tom uh, to hear Tom, the other Tom rant about Charles Dickens. But I want to get more into the movie. It's a wonderful life. Uh, Cause you really break this one down. And this is one of those movies. That's just, it's just top of the list when everybody mentions the Christmas classics. Um, so what is the problem with not, maybe not the movie itself, but about who the movie is trying to make out to be the heroes and villains? Well, I mean, we're supposed to, of course, think that Henry Potter is just the most evil man who's ever lived. But, you know, that really isn't based on any facts we get from the movie. I mean, we keep hearing that somehow or other he's oppressing his tenants who live in his houses. Um, You know, and we get this from his chief competitor, you know, the the classic limousine liberal George Bailey and his father who run down Potter as a greedy, evil capitalist, uh, of course, until they need money from him. And, you know, some of the things that squeak through in the movie that you wouldn't necessarily notice right away. I mean, Potter is a part owner of the Bailey business. He's a stockholder. Okay, how did he become one? Well, I mean, it's not a publicly traded company where he just bought shares on the exchange. It looks like the Baileys went to him for money at some point. And then they start running. I mean, then they spend decades really running him down as this evil person. And why? Because the people who live in his houses, which are cheaper, are too smart to go in for the Baileys, you know, Ponzi scheme, their fractional reserve uh, uh, scam to make everybody a homeowner which of course collapses during the, the depression, you know, and, and, and I can't do the, the uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart impression as good as Tom, but you know, <laughs> Bailey, uh, George Bailey is like, well, wait a minute. Potter is out there buying, you know, he, and he says Potter's smart. He's buying right now. He's keeping his head. Well, why mm-hmm. can Potter buy when everybody else is, you know, they're having a run on the bank at the moment. He, he saves the bank and, and they're having a run on on Bailey's business, well, because they're fractional reserves. They're they're a fraud. Um, I think Jimmy Stewart throws in something like, "We have sixty days, you know, to try and put a little bit of a, a a different spin on it." But it's not like you know Bailey could come up with 
you know, everybody's money if he had 60 days or 600 days. Okay. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, there's another way to look at, at it's a wonderful life than the way that, and, and I should say, you know, as I told Tom, Frank Capra was a, a, uh, rabid anti-New Dealer and he never voted. He's a Republican, didn't vote for Roosevelt, but he worked with communists all the time. And the two guys who wrote it's a wonderful life were communists and they wanted to portray capitalist is evil so that's what you get out of it's a wonderful life but but at the same time bailey is like the good capitalist he's like you know jeff Bez bezos right or or uh you know uh maybe more like a modern banker and so of course it's noble that he's trying to make a profit and you know no one also notices that he's he's kind of scamming his fellow townspeople twice once to save his ponzi scheme during the depression and then at the end they come and bail him out again so i don't know why we're supposed to admire this guy um you know potter who's never done anything to anybody but except keep that eight thousand dollars that the you know the uh the idiot brother bailey handed to him by mistake so there's another way to look at it's a wonder or a wonderful life and you know i think that uh the people who wrote it did not have our best interests at heart yeah, I think there's a reason I never, I never really took too much to that movie. <laughs> I mean, some of the classics I watched and I'm like, oh, I can see this one. And then, I mean, I, that's just one that I mean, not even thinking about a political level or the capitalism thing, just even as a kid, I just never really liked that movie for some reason. Although yeah, I can never get enough of Jimmy Stewart and that, that classic voice and everything. Another thing I want to talk about, I, I do want to touch on, on Charles Dickens just a little bit on, um, on, um, uh, Christmas Carol. I, okay. Yeah. Christmas. I, I keep thinking Christmas story in my mind, Christmas story, but I, <laughs> oh, that's the good one. That's <laughs> yeah. Christmas story gun. is actually the good one. Yes. Uh, but, but Christmas Carol, which uh, I, I think my favorite, favorite version is actually the, the Muppet show, the Muppet version. <laughs> uh, but I mean, the portrayal of, um, is it, is it Cratchit is just, you know, it's, 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 it's a theme that we continue to see. And I don't know a lot about Charles Dickens. I assume he had at minimum, you know, communist sympathies, uh, because it's, it is very much similar to an, it's a wonderful life where the guy, it, it is even more extreme. I don't want to channel Tom Woods rant too much on this, but you know, he, the, the guy that's being portrayed as the villain here is basically the one guy that has provided, provided, um, provided this guy a job for the entire tale. So maybe you can just get into a little bit of the story behind uh, Christmas Carol. Yeah. Let me Right one wrong because um, we got to give credit to the great Butler Schaefer, the late great, unfortunately, Butler Schaefer, uh, who uh, wrote the first defense of Scrooge. And I linked to it in um, the ebook version of my book. I actually used to trade emails with Butler, and he would, you know, even though he was uh, one of the greats and I'm just some guy from Buffalo, he would always get back to me. And I actually asked him if it was okay if I could do like, you know, a, a continuation of what he did, because he kind of does this long courtroom uh, defense of Scrooge because he was a, a lawyer. And I and I asked him if he wanted to do the Potter thing with me. And he said, no, you go ahead and do it. You're, you know, you're doing fine. So anyway, um, you know, not, not to give credit where credit is due. But yeah, I mean, Scrooge, what's he done wrong? What exactly has he done wrong at the beginning of the movie? All we know is he's very wealthy. And he seems to be involved in some kind of finance. And I think that's enough. That's enough for him to be considered <laughs> right. a villain. <laughs> right. And I mean, you know, we don't know how many jobs he's created, how many buildings are standing, how, how much wealth he's created for other people. We know he's still in business, so he hasn't gone out of business. So he must have made a lot of very good financial decisions. 
And it's the same old thing. Um, you know, his sin is not paying Bob Cratchit enough. Okay. Well, why is nobody else offering Bob Cratchit more? I mean, this is the question through the ages with the socialists. It's like, why is the guy that's paying him more than anybody else on the planet is willing to pay him? Why is that guy the villain? Why, you know, why aren't you paying him more? Oh, you don't have the money. Well, I, you know, so in any case, yeah. Um, and really, when you look at, at the story, that's all. It's not just the ghosts. I mean, right away, there's just people at him the whole time, not for his love or his affection or, or to save his soul, but to take his money. And that's what the, the spirits really are after. And they, they kind of terrorize them. Yeah. They're not even saying necessarily be, be kinder or like, maybe don't be such a jerk. They're just saying, no, give these people all your stuff. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, um, you know, you know, and, and these are supernatural beings which seem to be all powerful who I assume could be solving some of these problems. They blame <laughs> right. Scrooge for, you know, misfortune of people that he doesn't seem to have had anything to do with. Um, other than just being a guy who's successful. So, you know, it's another one of those stories where you, if you go along with the story and, you know, you could enjoy it as drama, if you start thinking it through, it doesn't really hold up. And you're saying, well, wait a minute, you know. So, Are you a fan of the film Scrooged with Bill Murray? Yeah, well, that was that, – when you said The Muppets was your favorite, I immediately was thinking Scrooge is my favorite. I, I already changed my mind. That's just because I, I, I somehow put Scrooge something in a different, different compartment. It's back though. It's number one now um, because in that movie, it actually is more like it should be because it is more about, you know, Bill Murray's character kind of goes through and sees how he was kind of a jerk in these situations and yeah. he did things wrong. And it is more about him actually having a character development. It's not just like, Oh, <laughs> give them all your money. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I mean, let's face it. I don't care if it was pure communism this, the line, that bitch hit me with a toaster. I mean, that, that's just worth the whole price of admission right there. So, yeah, definitely the best version of my book, too. All right, gang, got to take one quick break to tell you about our amazing Wonderful friends and supporters over at Lorenzotti Italy. Lorenzotti Italy is the number one place for you to stop and order some fine premium Italian coffees delivered right to your door in these neat little tins. And if that wasn't enough, you get to do so knowing you're helping a sponsor of this program. And if that weren't enough, you get to order using your Lions of Liberty discount code. That discount code is ROAR, and it gets you 10% off your order. So head on over to Lorenzotti.coffee and use discount code ROAR for 10% off some fine premium Italian coffees. Mm-mm-mm. Yummy, yummy, yummy. All right. Well, we don't want to just just complain uh, the whole time about, about Christmas movies. We want to have a little bit more of a positive message. Uh, so uh, I just want you to kind of get across like what what is the impetus behind this book that like what, what do you hope people get out of it? Because I think you are doing this for for a certain reason, whether it's just a spiritual reason, a cultural reason or what have you. But there's something you want people to take away from this book, uh, particularly going into the holiday season. So why don't you just pass along uh, Tom's advice for how you could spend, I don't know, uh, a more anti-state Christmas, a, a more Jesusly Christmas, whatever you whatever way you want to you know put a spin on it. Well, I mean, really, Christmas is the ultimate society, at least in Western culture, right? And I guess the, the reason I say that is I'm thinking of Thomas Paine, who said society is in every state a blessing, but government, even in its best state, 
is a necessary evil and in its worst state, an intolerable one. So he's making the, the distinction between society and government. And I mean, there's no time that it's more pronounced than Christmas when politics is over. I mean, thank God Congress goes home. I wish they'd stay home. But, um, you know, everyone gets back together with their family, their close friends, the real networks, the real strength of society. And, you know, of course, they want to shut it down. And you know, I'm, I'm not saying like one of these conservatives, like, you know, they make us say happy holidays. I'm saying they, they don't want us to do that. And just to celebrate Christmas like you did in 2019 is it's like a revolutionary act. So I, I want to remind just people, to get together with your family and not ask them about a vaccine would be a revolutionary thing right now. Yeah. Yeah. And do not let these people scare you or intimidate you into, you know, throwing away this last vestige of civilization and, you know, reflect upon how revolutionary the the, the character Jesus was. And, uh, you know, don't fall for any of these communist Christmas specials either. <laughs> All right, Tom, one, one more thing I want to touch on before we drop off here is you you have a very particular drink that you give the recipe for in this book. We're not going to give out the recipe itself because we want people to actually go get the book and check it out. But uh, I'm just curious if you can give us the story about around that drink and maybe just describe it for us. Uh, that would be a nice way to, to wrap things up. And I might even go make myself one. <laughs> It'll take you a little while. Um, yeah, I was in the hearing aid business in the two. 2000s and i used to go to germany a lot um and the the manufacturer we were importing german hearing aids (laughs) so um so one year i was there in like mid-december right before christmas and you know the the company uh took me out to an authentic german christmas market in hamburg and introduced me to this great drink and what they do there is you go to the markets and they're all kind of outdoors you know they're like stalls and even though it's you know a little chilly um i'm from buffalo so you know um so you go to the shop and they've got traditional stuff like the, the roasted almonds and all the the uh traditional german things and then you go out to like you know the what would be the parking lot and they have barrel fires like that people are standing around drinking what they call gluwein, which is glow wine or what we call mold wine. So I'm like, oh, this is awesome. I got to get, you know, this. So I wanted to get like an authentic recipe and then I got one and then I, you know, didn't like the way I, it came out for me. So I fiddled around with it till I got it to the way I liked it. So I put that in the book saying, look, you know, as part of the whole thing, you should probably make some, some gluwein and, you know, stand outside around a fire and talk some treason. Well, it, it sounds fantastic to me. It, it is a little bit of work. Uh, maybe, maybe I won't do it right now, but I, sometime in the next few weeks when, I, when I'm back settled back in, I'll, I'll have to check it out because it, it does sound pretty good. Uh, Tom, before I let you go, of course, just give everybody the, the full summary of all the best ways they can find your book as well as all of your other work. You are recently got into the podcasting game as well, so let them know um, how you can uh, how they can find all the Tom Mullen uh, projects. Well, uh, to get the book, you just sign up on my email list by going to antistatechristmas.com and that'll take you to a place where you can download the book for free. It's also available by uh, paperback and there's a link there at the same place. Um, very inexpensive. It's a short book. So I wanted to make it, you know, inexpensive, unlike everything else. Thanks to our uh, wise overlords, uh, everything else is going up this year. 
So you can go to antistatechristmas.com. My podcast is at tommullentalksfreedom.com, and you can also sign up to get the book there. So any way you go, you'll end up at tommullentalksfreedom.com. All right, Tom Mullen, thanks so much for joining me. Nice to finally make your acquaintance. Uh, Keep up the great work. Keep on roaring, and of course, have a wonderful anti-state Christmas. You do the same, Mark. Thank you. All right, gang, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Tom Mullen. I literally remember seeing this guy's articles about the Ron Paul campaign way back in the early Daily Paul days uh, when we were posting our articles over there before we even had a podcast. So uh, it's just another one of those guys where we go way back, yet we never actually talked before. So it's one of those weird things. It was really nice to finally get to talk to Tom Mullen. Be sure to check out his book, Anti-State Christmas. And friends, I've just got a couple days, just a couple days away from heading to Sayulita, Mexico, the land that COVID has hardly ever touched, or at least we're going to use that in the marketing. But uh, you really do not expect to see any kind of masks or anything like that. You do not need a test to go to Mexico. You do not need to take a vaccine to go to Mexico. You're probably not even going to have to wear, I don't want to make a guarantee, you might need to wear one Uber, but for the most part, you shouldn't have to wear a mask uh, anywhere at the hotel or anywhere at this event. Uh, It is the Sayulita Super Spreader. That is Sayulita, S-A-Y-U-L-I-T-A. Head over to sayulitasuperspreader.eventsmart.com. Get your your tickets right now if you haven't it's really not hard to get there if you want some tips reach out to me you can hit me up on twitter at mark d claire m-a-r-c the letter d claire c-l-a-i-r uh slide into those dms is probably the easiest way to reach me um or drop me an email mark m-a-r-c at lionsofliberty.com but this is being put on by our good friend johnny perfida of the peddling fiction podcast and we're gonna have a bunch of uh, liberty podcaster types there including myself of course buck johnson from counterflow clint russell from Liberty Lockdown, James Guzman from the Borderless blog and podcast. Uh, It's going to be a blast. And of course, I guess they're calling him the headliner. I don't know. But this guy, you may have heard of him. Uh, Johnny the Johnny the no, it's Robbie, Robbie the Fire. Robbie the Fire Bernstein will be headlining this event with a stand up comedy set and a live podcast. You're not going to want to miss it. If that all wasn't enough, guess who's going to be doing a little very brief opening stand up comedy set? For Mr. The Fly- Fire, <laughs> Mr. The Fire, it is myself, Mark Claire. I'll be doing a very rare stamped-up comedy set that you have to come to Sayulita to see in person. That's the only way you're going to be able to get it. So head over to sayulitasuperspreader.eventsmart.com. Anthony Samaroff, he's the other one. I knew when I was listing those names, I knew there was someone I was forgetting. Anthony Samaroff of the Scottish Liberty Podcast will also be there. And I believe his it's actually his promo code, even though you know I should get credit if you buy it. But uh, Red Bill is his promo code. That's that. That one is currently still active, so you can go use that one to get 10% off your tickets, but I really do hope to see you there. I'm heading there in just a couple days. Come join us for some sun, some tequila, some fun, some live podcasting, and just a, a normal time, a normal freaking time at a fun, inexpensive beach town uh, without a bunch of Karens screaming at you to put your mask on. I can't not wait. But if you're not going to be seeing me in Sayulita, then there's something else you should be doing, and that is attending my friend Jason Stapleton's virtual event called Discover 2022. And guess what? It's completely free. Unlike Sayulita, you do got to buy tickets for that one. Uh, it is completely free to attend. It's an online 
online webinar where Jason is going to help you guys unlock your hidden talent, skills, passions, and abilities that you need to increase your income and your impact in 2022. Uh, Jason has been a big influence on me. I've been a part of his Nomad Network, have made some incredible connections through there. And quite frankly, his a lot of his podcasts, a lot of especially um, you know when he made that turn, um, really did help motivate me a little bit and get me more on the path to where I am right now, where I do have multiple income streams, uh, multiple entrepreneurial endeavor, endeavors that I'm working on. So uh, I can personally attest that Jason's a great guy and uh, something someone that can really you can really year, learn from because he really does know what he's talking about. So I want you to head over to StapletonAgency.com/slash/discover-lions. That's StapletonAgency.com/slash/discover-lions. I will of course link to that in today's show notes as well, my friends. That is all I've got for you for this week. Until next time. Live long and live free.